There is. I think we can agree with that. You don't realize it, but I just got major points with my daughter, Sophie, because Sophie loves Little House on the Prairie. She's read that series of books. We've watched every episode multiple times. There's something about watching that show, Little House on the Prairie. Charles and Carolyn, Mary and Laura, and Carrie and Grace, and Albert. They faced a lot of challenges in life. Mary went blind. Carrie fell into a well. Charles broke more ribs than you can count. He seemed to always be walking around with a arm pressed against his ribs trying to protect them. They faced drought, they faced blizzards, they faced epidemics. But somehow that family came through it all, that little house on the prairie. What about the Waltons? You remember that show growing up? It's a Depression era family in rural Virginia. In the mountains, a mountain called Walton's Mountain. They, they faced a lot of challenges as well. In fact, they had to not only survive the Depression, but they had to survive World War II. Do you remember how almost every episode of that show ended? With the lights in the house going off, and the members of that family calling out to one another, Good night. Good night, John Boy. Good night, Mary Ellen. You hear those voices ringing through that house. It didn't matter what happened on the show. It didn't matter what happened that day. At the end of the day, the family was still together in one place. They'd get up and face another day together. Something comforting about that. What about the Wizard of Oz? You know, Dorothy got picked up by a Kansas tornado, right? Deposited in some strange land. That blue checkered dress, those red heels. She clicked them together and what did she say? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Truly, there's no place like home. There's a song named Home that came out just a couple years ago. Michael Buble sang it first, and then Blake Shelton took it and made a country version of it. Another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and Rome, but I want to go home. I think we can relate to that, can't we? It doesn't matter where we are. We can be in Paris, we can be in Rome. We can be in the most beautiful cities in the world. It can be a beautiful summer day. We can be surrounded by people, and yet we still sometimes can feel all alone. We still sometimes long for and want to be home. There's just no place like home. Tonight we want to talk about home. Now, if it's the case that secular writers and actors... And musicians know there's something special about home. You would think of all people on earth, we ought to know that. Because we not only have a home, we have a Christian home. We have a home that is based on the Word of God. We have a home that's built on the foundation that God has given us. We have a home that has a hope that no other home has. If anybody appreciates the home, 
It should be us. God give us Christian homes. What a great song that is. Tonight as we look at the home, I want to consider three points. We want to see the founder of the home. We want to see the foundation of the home. And finally, we want to see the future of the home. Let's start with the founder of the home. Most of us have known the founder of the home our whole lives. I've never taught cradle roll. I don't ever plan to break that record because I, I just don't think I'm cut out for cradle roll. But some of you have taught cradle roll, and I know a little bit about cradle roll because I've had some kids go through there, and I've been in charge at different times of curriculum and reading through curriculum and looking at things, and so I know a little bit about cradle roll. And I know that most cradle rolls began at the same place. They began talking about the family. They began talking about the fact that God gave the family, and those little babies in that class, they learned to say, Dad and Mom... They learn about the story that's contained in the first three chapters of Genesis. They learn about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth. And they learn that God made the home. And God in making the home made man and woman and children. They learn that. It's good that they learn that. It seems simple. It seems basic. And it is. But our world is trying to remake that. Our world's trying to change that. You can go down to your local school library and you can pull a book off the shelf and it'll talk about somebody that has two daddies or two mommies. What's wrong with our world? How did we get there? How did we get so confused? God gave the family. God made the home. It's simple. The Bible records it. We know that in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that God made man in His own image. He made them male and female. We know that God joined them together and then God blessed them with children. Genesis 2, 18 through 25 and Genesis 4, 1 and 2. We know that's recorded again in Matthew chapter 19 and verses 4 through 6 where Jesus explains the basics the foundation of the home. We understand that. We know the story. You know, I love reading Genesis 1 and 2 because every day God makes something and our world comes to life. And every day when God's finished with that day's activities, God said that it was good. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, it's good. But day 6... That's the day we focus on the most. That's the day that we zoom in on in Genesis chapter 2. And that is the day where for a small window of time, God looked at His creation and God said, it's not good. Genesis 2 and verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. It was not good until God made the home. I want you to think about that verse. And I want you to think about the fact that that's not my assessment. That's not your assessment. That's God's assessment of His own creation. God said, it's not good. But God had an answer. And that answer is, I will make an helpmeet for Him. And then God gave an arrangement for this call. Shall a man leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. When we think about that in Genesis chapter 2, we get to the end of day six, and what does God say? 
saw what he had made, and it was very good. Ladies, you did that. You did that. When man was all by himself, God said, it's not good. When God made a help meet and brought her to Adam, God said, it's very good. The home is very good. Our God looked out for what we needed. It's interesting when you study the Bible that the Bible talks about the wife as a gift, a gift of God. In Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22, Whosoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains the favor of the Lord. A wife is the favor, the grace, the unmerited gift of God. We don't deserve our mates, but God in His grace and mercy gave us what we, not just what we wanted, He gave us what we needed. God made the home. You know, children are a gift of God. Psalm 127 and verse 3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. God rewards us. God gives us an inheritance and children fit that bill. Children are the inheritance, the reward of God. God has blessed us with the home. He's the founder. He's the maker of the home. Now it comes down to this. If God is the founder of the home, then who should have the say-so in the home? Who should get to make the rules? Who should say, this is the way I want it to be? Who gets to say, this is right and this is wrong? Well, the one who made the home, the founder of the home, he's the one that gets to say that. Can you imagine being the founder of a business and someone walking into your business one day and saying, oh no, you're doing it all wrong. You see, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to change this, and you need to change that. What would your reaction to that be? This is not your business, this is my business. I'm the founder of this business, I'll run this business the way I want to run it. I'm the one that put the investment in. I'm the one that put the work and the sweat in. I'm the one that's going to have to answer for it. I'm making the rules. And if we would do that as men who make mistakes and who don't know everything, then certainly Jehovah God gets the right to say, I know everything. I designed it. Here's the way I want it to be. And He has. And how arrogant it is of us to say or to think that we know better than He does. Jeremiah 18 and verse 4, Jeremiah gives the illustration of a potter in the clay. And what does the potter do? He makes it, verse 4 says, as it seems good to the potter. The potter gets to decide what he's doing with the clay. The clay doesn't get to make that call. The potter gets to make that call. Paul is going to say the same things in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20, referring back to that. He said, shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, why did you make me so? We don't get the right to look at God and say, why did you make it this way? We don't get the right to do that. It's foolish and arrogant of us to think that we know better than God knows. God gave the home. And God gave the roles for the home. We know that God set the husband in a certain position and the wife in a certain position and children in a certain position within the home. And we've got that all mixed up in our world because we forgot who the founder of the home is. We forgot who gets to make those calls. And we forgot that we're supposed to be following what he says and not what we think or what we want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul's going to explain that the head of every man is Christ. 
The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Paul just lays it out there. Paul says, listen, Christ is in submission to the Father. The man is in submission to Christ, and the wife is in submission to her husband. That's the divine order. That's the way God set it up. And when we switch that around, any way we want to switch it around, that's arrogance and it's foolishness. Think that we know better than God. God is the founder of the home. But let's move quickly to the next point. We'll spend more time here. That is the foundation of the home. The foundation of the home. If you've ever purchased a home, at least in the last 20 years or so, you probably had a home inspection. They, they went through the house that you were planning on buying, borrowing money to buy. They went through the house to see if everything was in good order. They checked the plumbing. They checked the electrical. They checked the heating and the air. They get on the roof and check out the roof. They even look at the foundation. They're checking the foundation to see if there are any cracks in the foundation. They're looking at the foundation to see if there's any signs of settle, settlement. Because those are bad signs. Those can be expensive fixes. Those can be problems that will lead to that house being unlivable. Those are important calls to make. So you pay someone who knows something about it to go in and check out those kinds of things. Foundations are not glamorous. They're not exciting. Oh, I was excited about a foundation one time in my life. The very first home we built... Couldn't wait for that home to get started. Go out every day just to see what they've done, if anything. And day after day, seemingly, they've done nothing. But one day you come out and it's all framed up with, and they're getting ready to pour concrete. The concrete's not exciting, but, but because it's your house and it's going to be your first home that you've built, you're excited about it. But it's just flat, and it's gray, and it's boring. It's not exciting. What's exciting? Well, when the walls start going up, when the bricks start going on, when the roof goes up, that, that's, it gets exciting. And then when you get to the, the paint colors being picked out and the carpet being laid and the hardwood going in and all of these things, that's when it gets exciting. Even though foundations are not exciting, they're extremely important, fundamental. And without a good foundation, it really doesn't matter what else you do. But I want you to think with me about something. Someone comes to you and says, I want you to build me a house. So you, you get some blueprints and you're determining exactly what's going to go in that house. And you have a checklist and you sit down with them with a checklist and you say... First, we're going to do the foundation, and, and this is how much the foundation is going to cost. And, and then we're going to frame the house, and here's how much it's going to cost. And then this is how much the brick's going to cost, and this is how much the, the roof is going to cost, and this is how much for plumbing, and this is how much for electrical. And you're going down through the whole list, and they look at that. They've got to sign off on all of this. They look at that list, and they say, You know what? I don't want to spend that much on the foundation. Let's take that money for the foundation. Let's put that money somewhere else. Let's get nicer finishes. Let's get nicer fixtures. That's something I'm going to see every day. I'm not going to see the foundation. So let's just take that money, at least some of that money, away from the foundation and put it somewhere else. What are you going to say to that person? You're probably going to say, listen, the foundation costs 
This is what it is. You can't change the foundation cost. There's no shortcuts you can take to a foundation. This is what it is. We might take shortcuts somewhere else. We might settle on cheaper finishes. We might have one paint color instead of five paint colors. We might make some changes like that. But we can't change the foundation. It is what it is. You know, if somebody wanted to skimp on the foundation, that would say they're, they're being short-sighted. They're being foolish. And yet we know families every day that are skimping on the foundation. They are. They're choosing the material over the spiritual. That's skimping on the foundation. They're more concerned with Johnny playing first base than they are with Johnny winning the Christian race. That's skimping on the foundation. That's being caught in what we see rather than realizing the value of what we don't see, the importance of what we don't see. Foundations are important. We've known that all of our lives too. Think about Matthew 7, 24 through 27, where we, we, we learned this story. We even learned all the motions that went with it, right? The wise man building his house upon the rock. Foolish man building his house on the sand. Jesus said, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house on the rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds beat upon that house, and it stood firm, for it was founded on a rock. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, I will liken him unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the wind beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What was the difference in those two houses? Foundation. Otherwise, they might have been the same. The foundation was different. One was founded on the rock, the other was founded on the sand. You ever outline that passage? In that passage, you see two fellows, one wise and one foolish. You see two foundations, one rock and one sand. And you see two futures, one stood and one fell. For the sake of this lesson, let's change that to families. Two families, two foundations, and two futures. Two foundations, two families. One wise and one foolish. Two foundations, one rock, one sand, two futures, one stood and one fell. Where is your family going to be 50 years from now? 100 years from now? 10,000 years from now? Where is your family going to be? That depends largely upon the foundation that you're laying today. And if a house stands or falls, it's based largely on the foundation. If you want it to stand, you have to have a good solid foundation. Foundation that can stand the test of time. You know, the rains are going to come. Floods are going to rise. The wind's going to blow. If your house stands, it'll stand because of the foundation. What are some of the things that are threatening the foundation today? Well, there's feminism. Threatening the foundation, right? Changing the order that God gave for the home. There's liberalism. Our world's filled with it. Men going further and further away from God and God's morality. Oh, we, we think about alcohol. We think about immorality. We think about divorce. We think about all the things in our world that are threatening the home. But you know what? I'm not worried about any of those things destroying the home. At least not destroying the foundation. Foundation standeth sure. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. The foundation of God stands sure. 
If I build my house according to the teaching of God's Word, it can survive any rain, any flood, any wind. It can survive feminism. It can survive liberalism. It can survive atheism. It can survive alcohol and drugs. It can survive any of these things. Why? Because of the foundation. There's a question that's asked in Psalm chapter 11 and verse 3. If the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? And it's concerning to think about the foundation being destroyed until I read that the foundation, if it is what God says for it to be, it can't be destroyed. It's going to survive. It doesn't mean I can't suffer harm. It doesn't mean I can't suffer damage. It doesn't mean that bad things can't happen. They can. But the foundation's not going to be destroyed. Foundation is established by God. It'll stand the test of time. But you think about how important a foundation is. You ever heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Maybe you've even been there. It's one of the most recognized pieces of architecture in the world. 1773, it was built in the little Italian town of Pisa. It stood 185 feet tall. 185 feet tall, not all that tall. The foundation of the Tower of Pisa was just 10 feet deep. It was built on marshy land, and so over the course of time, that tower started to lean. And in fact, at its worst, it was leaning 18 feet from the top to the bottom. Italian government became very concerned that this tourist attraction was about to crumble and fall to the earth. So they closed it, they did some work on it, and then finally they opened it back to the public again. That tower leans because it has a shallow foundation. That tower leans because it wasn't built on the right kind of soil. Luke, in in talking about these two foundations, rock and the earth, Luke actually says the foolish man builds his house without foundation. He builds his house on the earth. See, he doesn't want to go through the expense of the trouble of digging down. Sometimes in those days, you had to dig down some 20 feet to find rock. He didn't want to do that. So he just built his house the easy way on top of the sand. He built it without foundation, Luke says. You know any homes today? You know any families today that are are leaning? Oh, they started out pretty good. But over the course of time, they started leaning. They're leaning in the direction of the world They're leaning in the direction of liberalism. They're leaning in the direction of feminism. They're leaning in the direction of all these things. They need some work. They need to be straightened out. The foundation needs to be firmed up or they're going to fall. You know the tallest building in the world is in Dubai, unless that's changed. 2010, it was finished. It's Burj Khalifa. It stands 2,717 feet tall. It was built at an expense of $1.5 billion. It's twice the size of the Empire State Building. It's over a half a mile high. It's quite a building. And most people know it for its size, for its height. There's something more impressive about that building, and that's the foundation. You know how long it took to lay the foundation of that building? One solid year just to lay the foundation. Talk about slow work. That's slow work. The foundation is 164 feet deep. 
It contains 58,980 cubic yards of concrete weighing some 120,000 tons. That building's standing because of the foundation that's beneath it. With great buildings, what do you need? Great foundation. With great families, what do you need? Great foundation. You know, you take away that great foundation from that building and what do you have? You don't have the world's tallest building. You have the world's tallest pile of rubble. That's what you have. That's what it would be. Just a rubbish pile without a solid foundation. You know what you have if you take away the solid foundation from your family and my family? You're just going to have a rubbish pile. We're not going to have what God designed it or what God wanted it to be. The foundation is extremely important. Now I want to talk to you about the future. The future of the home. You know, some people are very pessimistic about the home. And I understand why. And depending on the home that you're talking about, I might be just as pessimistic as you are. In Noah's day, if you were talking about every other family in the world, I'd have been very pessimistic about them. But if you're talking about Noah's family, I'm not pessimistic at all. Because his family is what it was supposed to be. There are families that I'm concerned about because they're building without foundation. There are families I'm concerned about because they're leaning. There are families that, that I, I know are not going to make it unless some changes are made. You know, Matthew talks about the foolish man's house. He said, great was the fall of it. Luke says that it not only fell, but it fell immediately. Had no staying power. That wasn't true of the wise man's house. The wise man's house stood firm. The wise man's house was founded on a rock. In fact, I love Luke's description of this. Luke said it was not shaken. You couldn't shake it. The winds could blow, but they didn't shake it. The rains could fall, but they didn't shake it. The floods could rise, but they didn't shake it. They beat against it. Luke uses very graphic terms in talking about the force with which they come against the home. But he says they didn't shake it. You know, the future of the family can be unshakable for following the teaching of God's Word. Do you think with me about some things when we talk about the family and it being unshakable? Psalm 127 Verses 1 through 3, this is a psalm that was written by Solomon. You know it's by Solomon just by the language that's used because in the first three verses, he's going to use the word vain three times. That's Solomon's language. We find it throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. But he says, unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. He says, it's in vain to get up early. It's in vain to stay up late. It's in vain to, to, to work hard without the Lord. It's just not going to make it. Except the Lord, unless the Lord build the house. But if the Lord builds the house, there's an unshakable future. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58 says, Be steadfast, unmovable. Unmovable, did you see that? Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Solomon's talking about something that's in vain. But here's Paul talking about something that's not in vain. What's the difference? The Lord. The Lord being involved in the building. The Lord being involved in the foundation makes all the difference. But I want you to think about what he says beginning in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 127. 
where he, he talks about children being a heritage, being a gift of God. And he says, as arrows in the hands of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Arrows in the hands of a mighty man. That's quite a picture. A mighty man. You ought to go back sometime. Anytime you're feeling discouraged as a man, just go back and read 2 Samuel 23. Just go read about David's mighty men, and I promise you it'll pick you up. Now, it may, you may feel like you're not one of those guys, but just knowing those guys, just being aware of those guys will make you a better guy, make you a better man. My favorite in that whole list is a man named Benaiah. Benaiah was quite a warrior. It's the reason why David put this man over his guard. Because of this man's courage and valor and his strength. We find that this man fought two lion-like men of Moab and he slew them. We find that this man followed a lion into a pit on a snowy day and he slew the lion. Now that's the worst opponent in the worst place under the worst conditions. Didn't stop Benaiah from going in that pit after that lion and killing that lion. He faced an Egyptian who had a spear and he had only a staff. But he was the one that walked away as he took the spear out of the hand of the Egyptian and killed the Egyptian with his own spear. Talk about a mighty man. He's a mighty man. That's what Solomon's talking about. Those kinds of men. He grew up around those kinds of men. His dad, in fact, was one of those men. As arrows in the hands of a mighty man. I, I went to camp one time. They had different jobs for different people. And the job that they gave to me was the archery range. I was excited. Thinking of all the jobs they could have given me, this is the one I would pick. Archery, being outside, being outdoors. Uh, this is fun. Until. The first child turned around. How do you shoot this thing? And they got it pointed right at me. Suddenly I realized, I know why they gave me this job. Nobody else wants this job. But have you ever, ever practiced with a bow? It's, 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 it's fun. To pull back that string, to line up that arrow, and to let it fly, and then to hear it hit the target. Boom! Oh, that's a great sound. Here is the father who has a quiver full of arrows. And he takes them, he lines them up on the bow... He releases. And I release with the front instead of the back. That was wrong, wasn't it? You can tell I hadn't done that in a while. But he lets that arrow go. Then he listens. Boom! He hit the target. Here's the father. Pulls back the arrow. Aims toward heaven. And then one day, to be in heaven... And to see that child in heaven, to hear that boom, they hit the target. They made it there. Oh, what a joy that will be. I love reading about heaven. I love thinking about heaven. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11 has an interesting statement about heaven. About those coming from the east and the west and sitting down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I cannot wait to sit down with Father Abraham. And to talk with Father Abraham and to ask him questions that I'm interested in. What was it like to climb that mountain with your son? What was it like to hear that son ask the question, the wood, the fire, but where's the lamb? What was it like to draw back that knife? What was that like?
But as great as it will be to sit down and talk with Father Abraham, it'll be far better to sit down and talk with Parker or Claire or Emma or Sophie. Father Abraham had to wait. Much as I want to talk to him, I want to talk to them there. Because I want them to be there. I want them to make it there. Do you know the story of Nat King Cole? I just found this story recently. He had a smooth, baritone voice. One of the greatest singers of all time. You know him for the song, Unforgettable. That's what you are. That's what he was. Unforgettable. That voice was unforgettable. He lived in a time of segregation. And as a black man, he, he, he faced the, the, the height of that segregation, the, the prejudice. He was given a television show. Unheard of for a black entertainer to have a television show only to have it taken away because the white sponsors threatened to pull their sponsorship if they didn't cancel the show. He bought a house in a white neighborhood and his neighbors all signed a petition wanting him to move because he was affecting their property values. He faced those kinds of problems, those kinds of difficulties. So it's no surprise that his daughter, Natalie Cole, didn't want anything to do with music. Father died at 45 of cancer, and so she decided to be a doctor. Maybe she could help somebody else. But she found herself still drawn by music. She had her father's gifts, her father's ability. So she started singing. She won Grammy after Grammy after Grammy. In 1991, she produced an album that sold 7 million copies. It was called Unforgettable with Love. But what was so special about that album is it contained a song, her father's song, Unforgettable. Her singing those words. And then at a place in the song, her father joins her by a digitally remastered sound. Here's father and daughter singing together. It was unforgettable. Chill bumps go up your spine as you hear them sing together, separated by death, separated by 30 years. But I want to tell you what will be unforgettable. I can't sing. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. But if I get to sit down in heaven and sing with my daughter... I get to sit down in heaven and sing with my daughters. I get to sit down in heaven and sing with my son. I, I trust God's going to fix my voice. Heaven's perfect. I'm hoping for that at least. But to get to sit down with them and to sing the new song, Revelation 14 and verse 3, to be able to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, Revelation 15 and verse 3. Oh, what a joy that will be. That's the future of the family. The founder of the family, that's God. The foundation of the family, that's the Bible. The future of the family, that is heaven. Look forward to these lessons this week because I know that they will eventually take us. If we'll listen to them and follow them, they'll take us to heaven. If you're not a child of God tonight, 
Right now, you're not building your life on the rock. You're building your life on the sand. It's time for you to find the foundation of God and build your life according to His principles. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Will you repent of your sins? Will you confess Him as God's Son and be immersed in water to have all of those sins washed away? If you will, God will add you to His family. Your life will start being built on the rock. If you're a child of God and you've been unfaithful, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. Don't know when death is going to come. Don't know when the Lord's going to return. But you've got to be in that place of safety. You've got to be on the foundation of Jesus Christ when he comes. If you need to come, we ask you to. We beg and plead with you to come for your own salvation as well as the salvation of your family. If you need to come, come as we stand and as we sing.